Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, it's Parshas Vayetze, and uh, this is this is really this is uh, it, in a lot of ways it's, it's a very very uh, emotional uh, parsha um, because basically in a lot of ways we're we're dealing with with one of the greatest human beings or arguably the greatest bless you the greatest human being. Uh, Yaakov Avinu, Jacob our father. I mean, remember, it says that the, the rabbis teach that of Avraham, Yitzhak, and, and Yaakov, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that, that, that Jacob was the greatest and that his face is actually carved on the, the, the Kisei covered the, the throne of glory. You know, whatever, however we're able to understand these things. And the way, the way I understand that personally is that, that, that to understand it in the context that that Yaakov was the, was the culmination of the of the holy fathers. In other words, he was able to take the the, the greatness of Abraham and the greatness of Yitzchak and his own greatness and to integrate them all. And and that that's what gave him his 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 status of 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 of, of the the pick of the of the Abbas of of our of our fathers. Um, but anyway, the the point being that the the Torah picks up this story of his life at this point with him at just the lowest, 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 lowest place. And um, that in itself is just kind of worthy of reflection. Um, That how can someone so great uh, be in such a low place? Um, And... Uh, I'm not, God forbid, challenging his, his state of mind, but, but, but the opposite, using it to instruct us in terms of how we understand our own lives and think about our own lives. And to understand that <clears throat> there is no contradiction between being great or, 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 or spiritually elevated and, and being confronted, or I'll, I'll even say assaulted, with um, with challenge, and this is this is often uh, a very hard thing for us to wrap our minds around because, you know, we 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 know that there are all sorts of promises that that God makes to us if we if we keep the Torah and if we keep the mitzvahs and everything like that, and yet we also see that there is no life without intense challenge. And, and again, you know, when you're dealing with someone like Yaakov Avinu, who's, who's really like blameless and, and just the, the highest, highest, highest person, then if he's experiencing it, then how can we ever escape it, right? So, so, so it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And, and how does he get through? Because we, we, we need to study his life as a as a playbook for us, if you will, of how to get these get through these moments in our own life. And I was kind of just looking at the letters of his name, um, uh, Yaakov, and you know certain words. It's it's nice to spell from top to bottom to kind of make a ladder. And we have the story of his dream about the ladder in in this week's parsha as well. But if you just spell the name Yaakov top to bottom. Um, so it's Yud, and then Ayin, and then below that uh, Kuf, and then the letter Vez. So it's um, 
it's really divided into two parts. There's, there's the word akev there, which means heel. And, and everybody knows that the heel is the lowest part of the body. Um, and, and then you have, hovering above that, you have the letter Yud. And Yud, we know, is like from the Yud Kei Vav Kei, from the highest name of God, that Yud represents really the most elevated, elevated place. And in fact, you know, if you just, if you just it's so simple, but it's very profound at the same time. If you just look at the letters of the Aleph Bays, and you kind of just make a, a baseline, Every single letter hits the baseline except one in the whole olive base, which is Yud, which just floats above. And that's it's, so it's, it's appropriate that, that Yud would be associated with Hashem because it's, it's just beyond, 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 right? So here you have Yaakov's name really is a spectrum from the highest, the Yud, down to Akev, down to the lowest. Um, but it's also a lesson in holding it together, basically. Because the heel, again, is the lowest place. So, so I want to suggest the following, which is, how does, how does Yaakov Avinu make it through when he's at the bottom? By holding on to the Yud. Right? By holding on to God. And, uh, and that's, that's a lesson to us, too. And, and there's more to it. We, we, can, we can develop this further and further. You see, life, life is very complicated. And our, our rabbis teach that, that, that as Yaakov was contemplating a situation, and maybe let's uh, go into a little more, more detail what his situation was at this point. He, he's been told by his brother that, that uh, Esav, uh, that 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 Esav says, I'm, I'm going to kill you. So so Yaakov Avino is 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 running for his life, right? But then you have something even more perhaps uh, profound and troubling from Yaakov's point of view, because Yaakov, being the you know perfect tzaddik that he is, understands that how can any challenge be coming to me unless Perhaps I've done something wrong. So he's, he's looking at his relationship with God, knowing that everything comes from God, and thinking that it, it must be that I've somehow invited this upon myself through my own actions. So, so Yaakov is, is, is in a very hard place because he feels as though somehow he's, he's done something alienating to God. So, so the priest Sadik, Rav Tzadik Hakoyin, says, what, what was that thing that he think that, thinks that maybe he did wrong? Maybe the whole incident with the, with the blessings was the problem. Maybe, maybe, maybe he shouldn't have done that, or maybe he, he, maybe he told a lie. That's what Rav Tzadik Hakoyin gets into. Maybe, and we know that, the, that, that each of our Fathers had a certain great quality to them. We have, for Abraham, it's chesed, kindness. And for Yitzchak, it's gvura. It's this inner focus and strength and determination. And Yaakov, it's emes. We say, titan emes le Yaakov. So the idea that he's gone through this situation with his father 
and represented himself as Esav is so, so guts what he's all about that it, it was, you know, a, a traumatic experience. And now what happens as soon as that happens, there's a death threat on him which is a very real death threat, and to the point where he's got to exile himself and where he's got nothing now. And remember, Yitzchak was amazingly wealthy. Abraham was amazingly wealthy. Yaakov is wandering around with the shirt on his back and a stick, and that's it. Literally, that's it. He's, he has absolutely nothing at this point. So, so I want to continue to develop this, but I just want to just remark on, on, on something else now. So we have, we have an unusual sequence in terms of Toldos and Vayetze, uh, these two parshas coming together. That was last week's into this week's. What's unusual, about, what's unusual about them compared to the rest of the Torah is there are very few instances in the Torah where one week's Parsha on a narrative level goes right into the next week's Parsha. In other words, where you have, so to speak, like a cliffhanger one week, and then the next week you're right back into the story. You know, that, that's unusual where you have that narrative structure. And this is one of the few times that you have it in the whole Torah. Now, what's especially interesting about that is that the rabbis tell us that it's not what it seems on the, on the written page. Meaning to say, we have two things. We have the Torah Shebek Tzav and the Torah Shebaal Peh. The Torah Shebek Tzav, that's the written Torah. Then we have like all of the teachings that enlighten our eyes and tell us and fill in all the blanks of the details of what's going on in terms of the written word, the explanation of the written world. And... And with this in mind, the rabbis teach us that between last week's Parsha, where he's running, and this week's Parsha, where we pick it up, Yaakov actually makes a pit stop for 14 years. 14 years in the yeshiva of Ever, also more widely known as Shemve Ever, who were the sons of Noach. So remember, they have the Masorah, they have the teachings all the way back to Adam Harisham. Right? Remember, Adam, this, this concept, like a lot of times that we, we mistakenly think that Avraham Avinu was the one who, who, um, who uh, created this, this or, or, or who communicated this truth. But this is partially correct, what I'm going to say, but only partially correct, of monotheism, of one God. The reason why it's only partially correct is because Adam Harishon knew this. And he taught it to his descendants. What happened was it was buried over in Avodah Zarah, and Avraham was the one who opened the eyes of the world again to this fundamental truth. But it was not unknown. Meaning to say, there, are, there were teachings and Masoras, like amazing insights into creation and into God and everything like that, that existed before Ad- A- Avraham, that came from Adam, and that were passed down in a reliable way. So we had, like, the Torahs of Adam, Harishon, if you will. So, so that's the school that Yaakov went to, because that was the line straight from Adam Harishon. So, 
So, so Yaakov is going and he's learning for 14 years. Now, what's, um, you know, we're always talking about the Torah being black fire on white fire. And so, so this is the white fire of the Torah, right? Don't think that the Torah is just ink on parchment. The parchment itself is, has a spiritual integrity to it and is called white fire. And that contains like all the secrets of the universe, basically. And to tell you how important the white fire is as well, listen to this. Everybody knows that if the Torah is missing one letter, the Torah scroll is not kosher, right? But if two, Torah, if two letters are touching each other, the Torah is also not kosher. And I heard a f- very amazing explanation of this. The reason why it's not kosher if there are two letters touching each other is because there's white fire missing. In other words, it's not just the black fire that has to be there. There's the white fire that has to be there as well. See, you know what the white fire is? That's, that's, that's often the time for us to understand our lives, to think about what's going on, to meditate on creation, on why there's a world, why we exist, what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. So it's appropriate that the 14 years that Yaakov went to try to understand what's going on with his life, that that's expressed in the white fire. In other words, it's not written about at all, because that whole time was white fire. So, so now let's make an even larger point. And I've heard just every once in a while, over the years, not, not even anything recently, I, I don't... But over the years, I've heard certain rabbis say this. I think Rabbi Grossman, Rabbi David Grossman, I heard say this. And it's such a fundamental point. This is such a fundamental point. I don't think that you can understand life at all without this point, really. Or the Torah at all without this point. Which is that, look at the lives of our greatest tzaddikim, our holy fathers and our holy mothers. They lived consistently really hard lives. That's, that is a very huge point. <laughs> that is a very fundamental point. You've got, you've got them running for their lives on a pretty regular basis. Almost being killed on a pretty regular basis. Having their hearts broken in like, like with like sledgehammers. I mean, you know what it was for David Amelech to see his son like trying to raise an army against him and to take over his throne? David Amelech? King David? His own son? And forget about all the other stuff they had to go through. That alone is just like a sledgehammer to the heart. Sarah waiting 90 years to have a child? I mean, Rachel says to Yaakov, if you don't give me a child, I might as well be dead. And it says he responds back to her, am I God that I'm, what are you looking to me for? Like I'm withholding it from you? I mean, a, a peek inside the closed doors of their home? I mean, what, what she was going through? 
And the, the list is endless. I mean, Yosef HaTzadik is one of the... the, the I mean, there, there literally aren't words to, 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 to describe his greatness and his purity. He's sitting in an Egyptian prison for 12 years? I mean, I can't imagine something more disgusting than an Egyptian prison. Back how many thousands of years ago? What did that look like? And this, like, you know, I mean, there, how many people do we say their name and then Hatsadik afterwards? You know, almost none, almost zero. So, so then again, what about us? What about our lives? What, what are we supposed to expect? What are our expectations? Um, and then it becomes further compounded by the society that we live in today, which is like, which is teaching us the opposite message which is that every pain can be addressed and every, every, every that, that, that every, that, 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 that the state of discomfort is the ultimate contradiction. And so we think that that's normal. That's normal. The normal state of a being, especially someone who's striving to serve God, must be total and absolute pampering at all moments. <laughs> it has to be, right? Because every billboard and every ad and every, every, everything tells us that. It has to be, which makes the experience of discomfort doubly confounding. Because A, we're being told that it's abnormal, and B, it's really painful to go through on its own. So now I'm in pain and I'm weird. <laughs> you know, who do I go f to for that? So, I was thinking, you know, if you look at the life of the tzaddikim, and let's continue with that, right? They actually make it through their challenges, though. That's the incredible thing. You know, this idea, if you want to picture again the name of Yaakov, this idea of being on the bottom, Akev, the heel, and yet holding on to the Yud, holding on to God. They hold on to God, and they make it through. They make it through. And then there's another challenge, by the way. But the idea is that they make it through. Now, now let's go back to the idea of Yaakov. He's running for his life. He's thinking that he's done something wrong. Right? He's really at the bottom here. Actually, there are going to be more bottoms for him later on, which is amazing. Remember, just to, just to make the point even stronger. I don't know that we have to, but let's make the point even stronger. When Moshe Rabbeinu is, is told by Hashem, by the burning bush, that go and take these people who, depending on how you count, you know, they've been in slavery for anywhere from 400 years to 210 years, depending when you 
start the counting of the enslavement. But let's say it's, it's you know, it, 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 the situation is, is horrific. And then Moshe says, who shall I tell them that, that, that sent me? And Hashem says, tell them, um, you know, Ehiyah Asher Ehiyah. Right? Sometimes we say Ekiyah. You know, it's like saying Hashem instead of pronouncing the Yudke Vavke, right? So, so, so that means it's translated as I will, I will be what I will be, right? And if you look in, and then later on, just a few lines down, Moshe Rabbeinu or Hashem, whatever it is, refers to himself as just Ehiyah. So what happened to the more extended name that, 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 that Hashem himself just told Moshe is, is, is my name. So the Talmud explains it, that, that, that this name, I will be that I will, what I will be, that just like I'm there with them in this crisis, the Egyptian servitude, I will be with them in future crises. <laughs> and Moshe is like, what? There's going to be more problems? You, they can't hear that. They cannot hear that. They just got to get through this. And so Hashem shortens the name to just Ehiyah. Just, I'm there for them right now. But again, this idea of, of getting through a crisis and there being another crisis. But let's just talk about getting through a crisis right now. So, so I was thinking about this, you know. They get through it. And, and, and I know that if each one of us were to think about our own lives, we could probably think of a hard time that we got through. Thank God. We, and, and it doesn't, didn't mean it was less of a crisis. It was a crisis. But somehow we got through, right? So that means, what that means is, if a person gets through a crisis, even at the time of a crisis, that means that God is still with you. And then... If you get through the crisis, all the more so, for sure, Hashem is with you. See, I think, and, um, you know, just again to think about Yaakov Avinu at this state, thinking maybe he had done something wrong with, in terms of uh, getting the bracha, that we, we have this thought, and I want to say that, that this is sort of like swimming around in the ether of our emotional logic. And I want to just speak it out, because I think that I think that it's incorrect, and I think that we have to uproot this thought. That when we confront a challenge in our life, we think, God has cut me off. Again, whether we're able to express that in words or not is something else. But I think that on a deep soul level, this is what we feel. We feel as though we've been, so to speak, broken up with, right? And we, we, we exp- that's what we're experiencing on some level. But the reality is that can't be true. Because if God, if we're still alive, who is keeping us alive? God is keeping us alive. That means God is right by our side, even at that difficult moment. And if we make it through, and all of us can think of situations where we actually made it through, how much more so was God on our side through the crisis and after the crisis. And right now, if we're still alive right now. And then I was thinking, if we don't make it through, God forbid, what happens to us? 
Our soul goes to Shemayim. And it says, one moment in Shemayim is more pleasurable than all of the moments of pleasure combined in this world together. So even if we don't make it through, Hashem is still 10,000% there. In fact, even more there than He was before because He's more revealed to us. So Hashem never stops being by our side at any point in the process. And I think that this is an important point for us to have in mind and to hold on to. Like, what does it mean, Yaakov, Akev, holding on to the Yud? What does it mean? What does that mean, holding on to God? Understanding that our relationship with God never gets severed at any point. At any point, no matter what our circumstances are. At any point in the process. It doesn't mean that we don't do mistakes, and it doesn't mean that if we do mistakes that we don't have an obligation to try to fix them. I'm not talking about that. That's, of course, the case. I'm talking about something more fundamental. The fact that our relationship with God is unbreakable. It never ends. It doesn't end in this world and it doesn't end in the next world. It never ends. It's completely unbreakable. So now I want to tell you a very fascinating medrash if you haven't heard it. So Rav Tzadok HaKoyin brings this Medrash. It's uh, if you want to look at it yourself, it's on it's in uh, Gemara Sanhedrin on page uh, Sadi Zion, Amid Aleph ninety seven A. Really interesting, really interesting Medrash. So Abraham Avinu is uh, rather Yaakov Avinu is wondering maybe the way I miss since I'm truth right maybe the way I represented myself in getting the bracha from my father is the cause of the problems right now, right? So, and that, and that the Medrash, the Medrash Tanchuma, Rav Tzadik brings us, the, the, the Medrash Tanchuma brings this, um, this idea of the person who um, kills accidentally and has to run to the city of refuge. And then the Medrash Tanchuma, when it's discussing the law of someone who's running for their life, to a city of refuge, all of a sudden mentions Yaakov Avinu running from Esav and says that, and then Hashem came and comforted him in a dream. That's the dream of the latter. Okay? So Rav Tzadik says, well, what's going on with this Midrash? Like, like Yaakov Avinu didn't kill Esav. It's the opposite. Esav says he's going to kill Yaakov Avinu. But then Rav Tzadik delves a little bit deeper and he says, you know something? Yaakov was afraid maybe he told a lie. And then Rav Tzadik goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden to the Eitz Hadas. And he says, everybody knows, says right in the Torah, that when we ate from the Eitz Hadas, we brought death into the world. But what precipitated bringing death into the world? The lies of the snake. The lies of the snake, the Nachash. Right? So here you see a correlation between lies and death. So maybe on this level, Yaakov, if he misrepresented himself, I'm not saying he did, if he misrepresented himself, 
That was a lie that caused a death to Esav, right? And so now this is the this is the accidental death that he's running to the city of refuge for, that he's running to Haran. Okay. So now listen to this midrash. Again, this is from Gomorrah Sanhedrin. So. So it says, Rava said, at first I used to say that there's no truth in the world. But then one of the rabbis told me, and there's a debate, which is the rabbi? Is it Rabbi Tavus or uh, Tavyome? Um, and they, whichever was the name of the rabbi who told this story, said that, that he wouldn't, even if you gave him all the jewels and pearls in the world, all the money in the world, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't uh, tell a lie. And he tells the following story. He says, he says that he visited a certain town called Kushta, which is Aramaic for the word truth. And it says that there in, in, this, in this village of Kushta, none of the, all the villagers told the truth. No one, no one ever told a lie. And as a result, listen to this connection again, as a result of no one ever telling a lie, no one died before their time. Hear this connection between truth and, and life again. Okay, no one died before their time. So this rabbi, who is a very great tzaddik himself, married a woman from among the among the villagers, and she had uh, he had two two sons with her. And one time, there was a knock at the door, and a neighbor was inquiring after his wife, and his wife was washing her hair. Right? So she's indisposed. And he didn't feel as though it was appropriate language to say, oh, you know, my wife is washing her hair. Um, so he said, she's not here. Right? Because, in other words, there, there are certain, certain ways that you, that, that, you, that you talk, certain things that you say, certain things that you don't say. Like, for instance, if, if, if uh, just for those of you who don't know, um, just telling you if, you know, if, if that night is, is the, the night your wife would go to the mikvah, for instance, you wouldn't volunteer that information to, to someone. You wouldn't say, oh, no, we would love to join you, but, you know, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say something like that. In other words, there, there, there are certain things that you, you, you have to speak and present yourself in a, in a, in a modest way. So this idea that, um, that she's washing her hair it's already, you know, getting a little bit to that place where that's already a private activity. So, um, so, so he said, she's not here. And then it said, both of his sons died. And the, the town investigated and said, what, what's going on? You know, because no one dies before their time here, much less kids. What's going on? And he related the incident, and they said, please, please, please leave our town. you got to get out of here. So that's the end of the story. <laughs> you know, there's no surprise happy ending at the end of that story. That's the end of the story. So, so what's truth? You know, this is a big question. <laughs> What's truth? Because we know that there are certain instances where we're supposed to um, speak in, 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 in a way that, I don't want to use the word lie, because lie is 
is actually not even a nice word. It's, but one is supposed to sort of like re represent the information, if you will. Like, you know, the example that I always give is that if, um, if your grandmother makes chicken soup for you, and it's, and it's terrible, there's, and she asks you how it is, there's only one answer to that question, which is that it's delicious. Because the question she's asking you is, do you love me? She's not asking you about this. She's asking you if you love her. You know? So this is, this is, this is, you know, you, you, you have to know, but that this, this is only in very certain situations. This is not a license to make up things and say, oh, I'm whatever, it's, I'm making up things, you know, it's everything, all of a sudden everything is shalom bias, right? It's like, you know, that's, that's not it. It's very particular situations. But you see that there's this tension between what to say, and there's actually a very interesting um, uh, comment here from Rabbi Yaakov Emden, who's a, you know, one of the great rabbis, who said it was appropriate because he wants to reconcile the fact that he was trying to speak in a sneeous way about his wife, which is admirable, and yet, at the same time, he seems to have suffered you know, a pretty big consequence for it. So what Rabbi Yaakov Emden says something very interesting. He says he went too far by saying that she wasn't there. In other words, he could have... Now remember, we're talking about a town where no one told a lie at all, so this is a very extreme situation. But he could have, he could have said it slightly differently. In which case, he would have spoken appropriately and yet still protected the modesty of his wife. Interesting. Um, but anyway, so, so let's get back to this. So... So the idea, the idea is that truth is actually just one of the most fundamental aspects of, of, of the world itself. And, and, and we know that the word for truth in Torah, in Hebrew, is emes, which is a very interesting word because it's the first letter of the Aleph base, Aleph, the last letter of the Aleph base, which is tough, and the middle letter, mem. Okay, so in other words... And there are many teachings that come from that. One, one beautiful teaching is that, is that if you want to know the truth of a situation, you have to have the full context, right? Because the word for truth is beginning, middle, and end. And so, so I heard um, Rabbi Teller say something very interesting, that if you see someone acting in a very inappropriate or like very like strange way, right? Like what he has trained himself to say is act two, meaning to say, I'm walking into the middle of this story in this person's life where who knows what's led up to this outburst right now, right? And, and that's really one of the more sophisticated ways and one of the more appropriate ways of going through life is that when someone acts a certain way, you're not just pretending like, you know, all of a sudden, like, like that, that there's not a bigger story going on. There's a bigger story going on, right, with all of us on everything, you know? We're always entering into the middle of each other's stories, wherever, wherever we are. Even if you're best friends with someone or married to someone, 
They, they had a day apart from you. So you're, you're, even then you're entering into the middle of a story. So the very first three letters, the, 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 the account of creation, meaning the seven days of creation, the first three words and the last three words are really interesting. Because the first three words, Breshis bara elokim, if you take the last letters of those three words, it spells out the word emes, truth. And so the rabbi said, wow, God put his stamp of truth on creation. But then, if you look into it a little more deeply, especially since we prize the fact that truth is spelled in this sequential way, you say, well, wait a second. God puts the stamp of truth. Why didn't he spell it? Aleph Mentah, why he spelled it in a... Yeah, there are the letters that spell truth there. Those are the three letters. Uh, Breshis, there's the Taf. Bara, there's the Aleph. Elohim, there's the Mem. Okay, I'm with you. But why spell it out of order? Right? So what I'd like to suggest is that God implants truth into the world. And it's up to us to reveal that truth. That's where we come in. And so that's why it's very instructive that the last three words of the account of creation are bara elokim la'asos. And bara elokim la'asos, remember, the first seven days, the seventh day being Shabbos and the Messianic era being called the great Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. So the rabbis teach that the first seven days are one of many microcosms of the history of the entire, the destiny of the world. So here we see at the end of the seventh day, meaning when truth is revealed, the last three words, Baraya Lukim Lasos, the last three letters of that spell truth in order. Because that's the destiny of the world, that the truth of creation will be revealed. But that's our job. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we do with the Torah. That's what we do with the mitzvahs. We're revealing the oneness of God, the truth of Torah. Right? That's, that's, what, that's, that's what we're involved in right now. So, so let's, let's just kind of uh, review just for a moment just what it is that we've been talking about. We've been talking about the fact that, that life is filled with challenges and that if you look at all the great tzaddikim, all of our holy mothers and fathers, that you see that their greatness didn't come from being so great that they were exempt from challenge. <laughs> See, this is what we keep on, this is, it's like we're hardwired almost to think that that's what it is, that that's what it is. I will be through this, I will be exempt from challenge. And it's, it's a, it's, it's, you're, you're chasing after like, you're chasing after a mirage if you think that. So then what is it? It's through challenge, I'm holding on to that Yud. I'm holding on to God. And I'm understanding that if I'm alive at all, that means that God's with me at this moment. And if I make it through, as we've all made it through multiple challenges in our life, how much more so is God with me? And if somehow I don't make it through, then even more so God is with me. Because then I'm just sort of like reaping the reward of everything I've done. So I'm never disconnected. 
I'm never disconnected. I'm never disconnected. Um, I just want to maybe just end with just a story. I was reminded of this because the, we, we were privileged at the Happy Minion this past Shabbos to have the Biala Rebbe with us from B'nai Brak. And I think the first Rebbe that I ever met with was his father, the Biala Rebbe. And this is about, I don't know, I think like maybe 25 years ago, something like that. It's weird to be, you know, in a place in my life where it's sort of like I can tell a story to a grown man, a, a Rebbe, in his own right, about his father. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so weird, like the, the aging process, you know, it's sort of like, it's really odd. Anyway, that aside, that, that wasn't the point of this. Uh, <laughs> just reflecting. Um, but so I met with his father, and, um, and that was a, a, a very wonderful experience, you know. I remember, uh, well, all right, let me just get to it. So it was, it was maybe a year or so after we had met, or I had seen him I, and, uh, for a, 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 a blessing, a bracha. And, um, and I was in my room where I was living at the time, and uh, there were a stack of papers, maybe, I don't know, a couple of inches high, just on a shelf. And there was one little paper, like maybe three quarters of the way down, that was sticking out like like a sixteenth of an inch. <laughs> There's no telling what's on this paper at all. And it had been there like that, untouched for I don't know how long. But for some reason that day, it just caught my eye, that little paper sticking out from the stack. And so I pulled out that paper from the stack. And it was a flyer that says, Los Angeles welcomes the Biala Rebbe. Now, like I said, it had been, I don't know how long, approximately, it was months and months and months and months since I had seen him. And I don't know why exactly, but my first thought when I pulled out that flyer and I saw that was, oh, the Biala Rebbe wants to be in touch with me. And the next moment the phone rang and it was his Gaba. It was the Biala Rebbe's Gaba. Saying the Rebbe wants to see you. So I, I told that I, I, there was a moment in the davening where there was like a little window to talk to the Rebbe. And I was like, I'm going in. You know, like, like when, like Rebbe Shlomo says, when the gates are open, you got to go. So I, I just saw my moment and I had Yehuda right there. So I, I had a translator and I went right in and I said, I want to tell you a story about your father. And I told him that story. And here's what he said. He just responded. He said, he said, yeah, he says, this means that the, you, you guys, the two of you had a, 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 a very real soul connection and that this is hashkacha, right? This is divine providence. This is how God guides things. But what I was struck by was the, the fact that he was like, yeah, you guys have a, a real soul connection. This is, this is, a, this is uh, real. 
And then I remembered something that actually his brother, the the Biala Rebbe, also the Biala Rebbe, but the also known as the Astrava Rebbe, had told my wife because she was she said to um, him that you know she's had you know a number of dreams about people and these dreams have have turned out to be you know true like have certain things about certain people and then they 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 come true. And he asked her, he said, are these people that you daven for? You know, do you pray for these people? And she said, yes. And he said, well, that's why. Because when you pray for someone, you develop a soul connection with them. And then once you have that soul connection, certain information will come down about those people. And that that's... So now, I I just thought that this was very interesting in terms of just sort of like, if you will, the, the lattice work, the lattice work on a metaphysical level of how things are. That people who pray for each other or, or whatever it is, or people have a bond with each other, have these soul connections that also serve as information pipelines sometimes as well. Just very interesting. So I told this to um, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman. And he was like, you know... His reaction, he had a, a, a really nice reaction. And his reaction was, you know, it's, it's, what's most surprising is that we're surprised at this at all. That, this, that our grandparents and great-grandparents and things like this can consider these things very obvious. And he said that his grandmother is from Iraq. And that in Iraq, you know, like, you know at that point, it was sort of like if she needed bread... And she would think, I need bread. And she would expect her son to come home with bread. So, so that's, that's, that's interesting to me. And it reminded me on a more humorous level of a, a news item that I read a number of years ago about the, uh, the, the musician uh, Prince. Um, so... He's like a very interesting, you know, person, you know, kind of eccentric. But anyway, he, there, there was an, a news item that said that he was in Paris and that he had fired two people from his crew because they had consistently not m- responded to his psychic messages. <laughs> so it was like on the level of like insubordinates, right? Like there's certain things that I need and you guys like... You know, so so this is like maybe the the other extreme. It's like the other extreme, you know. But you know, when you put it into that context, you know, it's not as crazy as it sounds, right? So so we're all connected. So let's just end on this very last um, thought. So you know, it's important. We have to learn to say good things to ourselves, especially when we're going through challenges. And we have, to, we have to know how to talk to ourselves, you know? And so I was thinking, okay, so based on everything that I've been saying today, like, so if a person's in a tight spot, knowing that the connection is unbreakable, right? So what do you, what do you say? And so here's what I came up with. First, I'll give you the, the various drafts. I'll tell you what I came up with first, and then the rewrite, and then, then the rewrite on that, okay? The first rewrite, the first, the first draft was, 
I'll get through this. Right? Because you, you, you have, like the Sadiqim, right? They do get through it. Right? I'll get through it. And then I thought, no, 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 that doesn't sound so good. That's not satisfying. I'm not deriving any comfort from that. And then I thought, we'll get through this. And I thought, okay, we'll get through this. That's more resonant. And then I thought, no, I need some more help still. We'll get through this together. I thought, okay, that's already now, that's already now drawing on my relationship with God that he's with me at that moment. We'll get through this together and the, your, your, your loved ones, your friends and things like that. We'll get through it together, right? So Shem should bless us that really we should just have good times, you know? But that if those challenges do come, that we'll get through it all together. As a people, we've never not gotten through it. We've never got, never not gotten through it, right? And then we'll just, we'll, we'll continue to get through it all together until Mashiach comes, God willing, right now. And we should all be able to serve God with all of our hearts. Yeah. Amen. Sure. Amen.